Well, good morning. Welcome to the Greenville Vineyard. I want to start with a story. Um, there was a Christian once upon a time. His name was Johann von Hulst, uh, and he became the deputy principal of the Reformed Teachers Training College in Amsterdam, Netherlands, in 1914. That was the same year that the Nazis invaded and just basically took over Netherlands in a very short period of time. When that happened, Van Hulst helped turn the school into a site of Nazi resistance, or anti-Nazi resistance is probably better grammar. And it became a shelter for Dutch teachers and students who refused to sign the oath of loyalty to Germany that soon became required of Dutch university students and teachers. I don't know if you know that, but during Europe, whenever the Nazis used to invade a country, everybody in all the intellectual, all the influential spheres had to sign pledges of loyalty to, you know, the Nazi party and all that kind of stuff. So the school was situated across the street from a theater, and that theater was quite important because it actually acted as a deportation center for uh, Jews in the Netherlands, so really grim place. And as well as that, next door to the school, uh, there, was a, there was a daycare center. And what the Nazis used to do is they used to process the Jews that they were going to deport that lead to to places like Auschwitz and what have you. And while they were processing people, they would take the children of the Jews and they would put them in this daycare center, which was run by a Jewish lady um, at the time. So what happened is working in secret with the nursery's workers, Van Hulst and his colleagues began a progress or a process of smuggling the kids out of that school into the countryside. And so what would happen is the children would be passed over the hedge between the two properties at the back. And so the, the nursery people would pass the, the kids over to the teachers in the, in, in the school. They would hide them in the classrooms. And when they thought it was safe, they would hide them in baskets and sacks. And resistance workers would then ride their bicycles into town. And then they put the kids in those sacks, in the, like the front baskets of the bicycles. And they would ride them out into the countryside to safe houses that they had situated all over the place and basically hide them there and wait out till the end of the war. Um, and what would happen is a guy called Walter Suskind, who was a Jewish guy who ran the record-keeping in the daycare center and in the, dip, in the deportation center, he would then erase the records of these children. So he would basically falsify the documents. Now, one of the weaknesses of the Nazis in the Second World War was they loved documentation. So a lot of people began to learn how to use that system to try and save people. And so this ruse went on for a number of years up until 1943 when sadly the daycare center was closed and its Jewish di director, Henriette uh, Pimentel, was sent to Auschwitz. So Johann von Horst helped to save an estimated 600 children that were being moved through those centers. And so some of them, uh, were actually reunited with their parents after the war because they would keep records elsewhere. And if they could find their parents after the war, they would reunite them. And what happened is after a while, this got made known, and uh, he was eventually named as Righteous Among the Nations in 1972 by Yad Vashem, which was uh, Israel's memorial to the victims of the Holocaust as well as to those people who worked to thwart it. He also helped hide other Jews as well at that time during the war, but until the end of his life, he always regretted not doing more. Isn't it? People who do heroic things, aren't they always like that? They always regret not doing more. They never get full of themselves or a big head. And he said this, he, he said, you realize that you cannot possibly take all the children with you. 
He told this to the Yad Vashem. He says, you know for a fact that the children you leave behind are going to die. I took 12 with me. I think that was towards the end when they had to leave. And he said, later on, I asked myself, why not 13? He always thought about that extra one that he might possibly have gotten away of. So fast forward to today, the school where Van Hulst and his colleagues had worked and done this stuff is now the um, Holocaust Museum for the Netherlands in the area, and you can go visit it to this day. And so Van Hulst is an important person, an important follower of Jesus, because he saw something that stood in opposition to the advancement of the kingdom of God, didn't he? He saw something that was advancing the kingdom of Satan. And he knew what God would do in that situation, and he knew what God would have him do. And it wasn't stand aside and save his bacon and be safe. No, rather he was willing to risk his life and do something about it. And so he found out what he could do, and he did it, and partnered with the Lord, I would believe, to save more than 600 lives. Today we're going to talk about choosing to side with the Lord even when it is difficult, even when everybody around us wants to go in a different direction. And, you know, this is what happens to Christians over the millennia. Sometimes we find ourselves in societies where what we believe and what we think is popular, and the society around us likes us. I remember growing up in South Africa, and there was a, there was a point in time in that country where if you were a member of a church, you would put it on your resume because it actually helped you get a job. Right? And there are other times in society where you stick that on a resume and you're never going to get a job. And there's the ebbs and flows. Society and the, and the world around us is always going up and down, deciding at a whim what is right and what is wrong. But the consistency of the gospel, the consistency of the people of God means we have to be true to who we are, regardless of what that is about. So before we get into our, our, our reading today, as we continue in our Moving Forward series, pray with me. Lord, we just pray for all those brothers and sisters around the world who are trying to move forward with the gospel, trying to partner with you in their local areas, their neighborhoods, their cities, especially those who are doing it at great risk. We ask, Lord, that you would draw near to them, that you would strengthen them, that you'd fill them with your Holy Spirit, that you'd equip them. We pray that you'd protect them. We pray that you'd thwart the work of the enemy as he tries to get in the way and even take them out. Be their strength and their shield, Lord. Give them success in the work that you've called them to. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. If you have a Bible, you can open up to Joshua chapter 2. We'll follow it on the screen behind me. And we're going to tell you a story about somebody going against the norm. So then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go, over, go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab, bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax that she had laid out on the roof. So the men 
So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. As soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up to the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and my mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. She said to them, Go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days until they return. Then go on your way. Now the men said to her, This oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers and all your family into your house. If any of them go outside your house into the street, their blood will be on their own heads. We will not be responsible. As for those who are in the house with you, their blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on them. But if you tell what we are doing, we will be released from the oath you made us swear. Agreed, she replied. Let it be as you say. So she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. Lots of things you can get from that story. Lots of stuff going on. But I really want to really focus on this thing of her noticing what God was up to and choosing to go with it. That's kind of really what I want to dial into today. Especially in the vineyard, that's one of our values. One of the things we believe is that the Father is always at work. Jesus said that in the Gospels, didn't he? And he said, and I, and I only do what I see my Father doing. And it's one of those tricky things that we as followers of Jesus have to try and figure out in our lives. What is God up to? And how can I partner with it? You know, because that's what he calls us to do. So the first thing is this, recognizing what God is up to. You know, the people of the land knew that God was with Israel. They'd heard the stories of how he, let's use the term, official term, Yahweh, had led the Israelites out of Egypt, and they were terrified because they believed, they were sure that their own gods could not compete with him. And so they had belief and faith in Yahweh. So this is a really strange thing. They had faith in Yahweh, but they didn't follow Yahweh. They didn't surrender to the Lord God of the Israelites. Think about that for a moment. That is a, that is a weird thing. A lot of folk don't think that way. It is possible to believe and have faith, yet still not follow God. We see this with the people of Jericho. You know, uh, in the vineyard, we have a lot of healing stories, a lot of 
people go out and you know take risks and pray for folk in Walmart or wherever it may be, and even out on like Causeway Coast Vineyard in Northern Ireland, they have a healing ministry in the town that they're in. They pray for people for healing every single Saturday. Sometimes people, when they're healed, and it happens fairly often, they'll give their lives to Jesus. Other times, people who are not Christians will sit down and be healed of significant ailments. And then when they said, do you want to know Jesus? They're like, no, I'm good. And they'll get up and they'll walk away. They've received their healing. They believe God can heal them, but they don't want to surrender their lives to Jesus. They don't want to follow him. It is a weird, weird thing. You know, when we talk about faith and and being a Christian, if you like, these days, we, we often say that to be a Christian or one of Jesus' disciples means that we believe what he said and we have faith that he can do stuff. And, you know, that's only really half the truth. It's not entirely true, is it? Because really, to be a follower of Jesus, to be a disciple means to be in submission to God through our Lord Jesus. To be his following that we surrender our lives and we accept his authority over our lives. We submit to his lordship. In other words, we let him tell us what to do. Okay, That's what it means. So to be a follower, a disciple of Jesus requires a, a change of heart. It requires a change of allegiance that we surrender ourselves and all we have to him. So sometimes people believe, but they really want to serve and follow something else. And we get that, you know. None of us Christians are perfect followers of Jesus, is it? There's always something that, you know, is always knocking our door. Some little idol that we have that we struggle with, you know. Yeah, I want to give everything to Jesus, uh, but not my, not my spending habits. Or yeah, I want to give everything to Jesus, but not what I do on a Saturday. You know, it's always something that God's always poking his finger at that he wants us to surrender. It's a lifetime thing. You know, he's always asking us for a little bit more. And part of being a follower of Jesus is learning to get into that posture of saying, okay, Lord, I'm going to try my best to give you that little bit more. So to belong to God means to, to add allegiance, submission, and action to our beliefs. And we begin to see Rahab doing this. She believes that Yahweh is with the people of Israel. She believes that he's done stuff for them. And she believes that he's giving them that land. She's clocked that this is the will of God. The land should be theirs. And so she's thinking to herself, how can I get in on this? So what she's done is she's, in a sense, in the way we say in the vineyard, she's seen what the Father's doing, and she's looking for an opportunity to partner with it. This leads to our next point. Choosing to partner with God when the opportunity presents itself. So I was on a ministry trip this week. I was up in Duluth, visiting a vineyard church up there, uh, getting some coaching. I didn't realize how intense it was going to be, but it was pretty good. It was intense coaching. Came back. My brain felt like it had swollen up inside my skull. But while I was on my journey back, I was, I was sitting in the airport and just kind of praying, thinking a little bit, and thinking about the people in my life that I'm engaging with. And there's a lady who does a few classes with me. I'm a member of this gym here. Come here, try and, you know, uh, exercise, get to know people in the community. And um, not particularly friendly, but we see each other all the time. And she came to mind while I was just praying to the Lord. And I was like, well, Lord, why is she coming to my mind? And I just had this, this sense in me that God said, because my heart for her is that she would know the fullness of life that I offer and that she would know my joy. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. 
oh, I wonder what I should do with that. And then I kind of felt like, well, maybe you should tell her. I was like, oh, okay then, that's fine. You know, and early on in my Christian walk, I hated giving people random words because it felt pretty creepy, but I'm getting better at it now, you know. And so I was in one of my classes in this very room uh, when, we got, when I got back and she was in the class. So I just walked up to her and said, hey, you know, I was praying the other day and you came to mind. She went, oh, really? I said, no, I just, I just really felt that God's heart for you is that you would know fullness of life and you'd know his joy. I don't know if you find that encouraging, but yeah, there you go. She's like, oh, thank you. And she was really encouraged. And I left. Job done. Yeah. So then you recall that a word of knowledge, you know. I didn't say, thus saith the Lord on high and wait for a few angels to show up and sing a couple of songs. You know, I just said, I feel like God really wants you to know fullness of life and joy. You know, nice simple word. I had a sense of what God was doing and I chose to partner with it. Now that might look different where you are, where you work, what you do. Sometimes you don't have to throw big religious language and stuff. If you feel like God wants you to encourage somebody, you can use everyday talk. You know, most folk know you're a Christian. You know, you don't have to stamp big religious language and stuff. You can just do what you think God is doing. And people will relate that to your faith eventually. So Rahab and the people of Jericho knew God and his people coming, and they had two responses, right? First response is the people of Jericho. They believed that this God was awesome, but they didn't want to let go of their stuff. They had their own gods. They had their own idols. They had their own way of life that they wanted to continue. They didn't want to surrender to Yahweh because that meant change, right? Because whenever you surrender to God, there's always some sort of change that's going to come your way. That's a part of living a life moving forward with Jesus, okay? You have to embrace change. Change is going to come your way. You know, you love doing this today. God's like saying, hey, that's great. I want you to change that. I want you to do this tomorrow. You have to lay it down and move forward into what God has for you. Sometimes he has you doing a particular thing all your life. Other times you're doing something in your life and God says, I don't like that. I kind of quite like you to quit that. What do I do now? You know, and then you go through a crisis for a while. And if you really love Jesus, you eventually push your way in and do what the Lord wants you to do. God is always calling us to move forward. And if you're trying to stay in the same place, never healthy. Okay? And so what we've got is the people of Jericho want to stay in the same place. They didn't want to change their ways. They wanted to keep doing their idol worship. Right? Rahab, on the other hand, was like, I am all about change because uh, I want to keep my skin. I want to live, you know? And all this kind of stuff was going on. And so she was on the eye, on the lookout for an opportunity. And along it came with two spies showing up at her door. Now, we don't know why the spies showed up at Rahab's place, right? The text says she's a prostitute. A lot of, you know, more, some biblical scholars like, oh, you know, the Bible seems quite positive about her, so maybe she didn't really do that. Maybe she was just an innkeeper. And back in the day, sometimes the two were synonymous. Who knows? But maybe the guys were just looking for a room for the night. Who, who knows? We're not going to question their integrity today, right? But, you know, they showed up at a sketchy joint to look for a place to stay the night. And so, and, but she saw them. They came in. And the first thing she thought about doing was, I'm going to hide these guys, right? She saw her opportunity and she took it. And so she hides them. And she hides them because she wants to throw herself on their mercy and she wants to throw herself on the mercy of their God. And people forget about this when they're reading the Old Testament. They forget in the Old Testament, God made a way for the pagans 
the people who were worshipping the other gods, to leave their ways and become part of the people of Israel. There was a system in which they could do that. They just had to change their loyalty. Their loyalty had to change from their gods to the God of Yahweh. God was merciful. You know, we talk about how God tells them to go into the land and kill all people. God seems a bit rough. And, you know, God's judgment is rough. I'm not going to, I'm not even going to paint a pretty brick picture on that. It's rough. Okay. But at the same time, God would rather show mercy than judgment. Always his, it's always his preference. God would always rather show mercy than judgment. That's why when you read Genesis 15, verse 16, God's prophesying over, over Abraham. He's saying, I'm going to give this land to your descendants. But he says this, but it's going to take four generations. Basically, it's going to take like 400, 500 years. Before. Your people, your descendants are going to be slaves in Egypt for 400 years. That's how long it's going to take before I give you the land. Why? And he says this. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not, re- not yet reached its full measure. What does that mean? God says, I am waiting for them because I want to give them a second chance. And he gives them 500 years. And if somebody showed up and broke into your house, started wrecking the place, your house, started doing stuff you didn't like in there, how, how, much, how long would you wait before you got someone in there to take him out, you know, called the cops or something like that. 15, 20 minutes. So the Amorites and the people of the land are doing things that are detestable to the Lord, and he lets them do it for 500 years before he judges them. 500. That's pretty patient. I, would, I wouldn't be that patient. So anyway, so Rahab takes the opportunity, basically, is what's going on here. How am I doing? I need to speed up. So she takes up the offer and changes her allegiance to the Lord. She begins to go his way. She submits to Yahweh, and in doing so, she takes some serious risks. And so this is the third and last point. Taking risks to be a part of God's kingdom work will often come hand in hand with moving forward in the kingdom. You've got to see what God's doing. You've got to choose to partner with what God's doing. And sometimes... That's risky, uh, and it can risk your pride. It can risk your comfort. It can risk sometimes your livelihood. For Rahab, she was risking her life. You know, she risked the locals finding out and punishing her. You know, you hear stories about this all the time in the Muslim world. People encounter Jesus; they want to start following Jesus, and they have to like hightail out and, and leave town because they are going to get murdered if they don't get out of there. Their own family are looking to murder them. These things happen all the time. Just this past week, I heard a story about a girl who went to Fellowship Greenville, down on, just down on Pelham Road there. Not Pelham Road, on 14. Her friends had invited her to church, and her stepmom said, her stepmom is pretty anti-church, her stepmom said, do not go to that church. If you go to church with your friends, you are out. She went to church and got thrown out. And the people in the church were looking for a place for her to stay. Just a young girl. You know, sometimes people take big risks just to show up at church to worship. And so we hear these stories all the time. She also had the other risk that the Jewish people might renege on their deal. I mean, spies aren't known for being truth tellers. You know, who knows if they were going to keep their word and rescue and save her. So she was taking a big risk there. There were no guarantees that anybody was going to pay attention to that little scarlet thread hanging out that window. In the end, 
we know that it works out for. But she had no idea whether this rescuing of her life was going to become a life worth living. What was it going to be like to be part of this people, Israel? What was it going to be like to turn away from my gods and serve their gods? Now, I'm making an assumption here that she did turn away from her own gods and started serving the, the God of Israel, Yahweh, because the text doesn't explicitly say that. Those of you who read your Bibles a lot would say, you're stretching that a little bit, Bill. Yes, I am. And the reason why I'm stretching that is because when you go to Matthew chapter 1, that boring chapter that most of you don't read, you know, uh, so-and-so was the father of so-and-so, blah, 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 blah. And the, but there's really three interesting things in there because three women are mentioned in that, in that analogy, analogy. One of them was Rahab was the mother of Boaz. Boaz who married Ruth, right? So Rahab eventually meets a guy and has a son with him who turns out to be a fairly righteous dude, a follower of Yahweh. So I'm making the assumption that mom comes good. Okay? And doesn't she, she comes so good that God decides to make her a descendant of the incarnate Christ, the God-man on earth, Jesus our Lord. Amazing. Love that stuff. It's fantastic. Anyway, so she didn't know any of that. She chose to move forward into what she felt God was doing. And so it's the same for you. Where is it that you're at? Moving forward, following the will of God for your life. You feel God tugging at you in your heart. He's asking you to do something, to lay something down, to pick something up, to fix something, to restore something, to go back to something that you have been doing for a while that you, you just kind of got too hard, you quit on it, whatever it is. But you know God wants you to press into that place. Are you willing to move forward? Because it's risky. There's going to be some sacrifice. You're going to have to lay something down. But I want to say to you today, if you say yes to the Lord, there's always promise on the other side. The promise of life on the other side. Do you want that life that God promises you? So if you're in that place today, that's what you need to do. Are you in the place today where you are moving forward? Where you are taking risks, you're making faith steps in your life, and it is costing you. Maybe you're in school and you're getting bullied because you're a, you're a Christian. Maybe you're in a, a college class where what you believe is not really welcome and you're getting a hard time for it. Maybe in your workplace, people don't like the fact that you go to church even and you, you get given a hard time about it. And, and you need something from the Lord. You, you need deliverance. You need wisdom to know how to talk to people and, and work things out. Or, or you need strength and, and God to equip you with the ability just to keep moving forward because it's hard. And he tells us, Jesus says, sometimes you're going to have trouble in this life. And we don't want Jesus to tell us that. We want Jesus to say, sometimes you're going to have comfort in this life. You know, if you follow me, you know, it's just going to be so good. Every, every Christian will have a recliner and in the office and your boss will give you the easy jobs to do. We all kind of want that, don't we? But, you know, it's, it's just not that way. Sometimes it's difficult and you need Jesus to show up for you today. If that's you, you know, we're going to come into ministry time now. I encourage you to come down. Let our prayer team pray for you. Get that encouragement from the Lord. Because, you know, there's a strange, things that, strange thing that goes on in the kingdom of God. God invites us to partner with him even when we minister to one another. Often when God wants to bless you and encourage you and draw near to you, and, you, and we all do it. We're at home one night, 
laid in our beds like, God, will you just help me with this? And we press. And you know, he doesn't do it until we go forward and we ask some other random Christian to pray for us. And then when they pray for us, he does it. What is that about? I don't know. God wants to, he wants us to do it with him. And sometimes he's waiting to answer your prayer because he wants to do it through another person. Don't know why. That's just how he likes to do stuff. Because sometimes he wants the other person to learn a lesson too. He wants to do something with them. Let's stand. Michelle, team, do you guys want to come forward? So at the, here at the Vineyard, we just end all our services with a thing called ministry time. It's not weird and creepy. It's just a time of response. This is a time where you're invited to um, ask God to make himself known to you, to make himself real to you. And as well, if there's things going on in your life, maybe something I've said today has impacted you, you want to respond to that in some way. Or maybe there's other stuff going along that, that you want some prayer for. And this, this is a, the perfect moment uh, for you to do that. I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to make himself real in a minute. Then we'll stand in silence just for a, just for a couple of minutes. Um, and in that moment, you're invited to stand, sit, whatever. But just let God draw near to you. And then after that while, we'll, we'll begin to sing just our last song. And during that time, you're invited to come forward for prayer. Uh, or you can sing, stand, sit. This is just your time with God. So there's no rules here. You don't have to do anything. I invite you just to let God move close to you. Well, as that, if you're with us today and you've fallen away from Jesus or you're not even a follower of Jesus yet, and you'd like to... I'd like to make a decision to start following Jesus again. And you need some help to do that. Please come and make yourself known to me or someone on our prayer team. We'll pray with you and give you a couple of tips on how you get that journey going. Father in heaven, we thank you for your presence by your Holy Spirit. We thank you for your healing power. We thank you for your resurrection power. We thank you that you're able to save us from our situations. We thank you you're able to strengthen us. Holy Spirit, would you just come? Make yourself real to us right now. You know the needs of each one of us in this room. Would you, would you rest on us right now? Speak to us. Empower us.